So I was going through our list of topics that we've covered and it mm -hmm. dawned on me, we haven't talked about the safety of life insurance companies. Yeah, it's good. I think um, it's interesting because it really is like a, an amazing product from so many, so many levels. I mean, these life insurance companies are doing everything right. So I, I didn't know if, you know, you, I, I put question marks by my notes um, just because I didn't know if that kind of jived with what you wanted to cover. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I, a lot of the stuff that I put into the notes was from a LMR article back in 2014. Um, a lot of it is like really, what's the word I'm looking for? Pedantic, at least for, yeah. for my level of conversation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's at a level where I usually am not talking about, you know, a study by the federal reserve in 2012 and what yeah. they determined for asset holdings and, and it's great stuff. Um, and it speaks to Robert Murphy and his PhD and Carlos Lara and, and just the, their expertise and why mm -hmm. they're so brilliant and, and what they add to, you know, the infinite banking Institute, but it's not yeah. how I would normally talk about the safety of life yeah. insurance companies. Yeah. I think it's phenomenal, but definitely not my, my cup of tea when it comes to explaining the safety. So I, I added a starting point to make it more conversational. Yeah, that's good. That's funny yeah. because this isn't my cup of tea either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, usually I just explain, I, you know, I just say, you know, these institutions have been around for centuries and, uh, you know, they're, they, they have, you know, similar regulations to the FDIC, but even better because they have reserve requirements. Is there anything like, do we have anything about the ratings in here? My, my feeling on the ratings, you know, I, I think they are important to a lesser degree. Yeah. For me, there's more value in how these companies, life insurance companies looked at in terms of solvency and how they're regulated compared to investment firms and the banking industry. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I'm talking about safety, I, I'm drawing a quick comparison to here's the banking industry. They lend out so much of your money that you keep on deposit. You know, it's like 90% or more. I mean, it's, it's to the point now where if, if what I read was correct, they don't even have to have a reserve anymore. It used to be like 10% down to 3%, 2%. And yeah. I don't even think a reserve even exists because of this whole pandemic. And that's and what and and so when you say a ninety percent reserve, the flip side, they, they can yeah. lend out ninety percent, keeping oh, a ten percent reserve. Right, right. Yeah. Do insurance companies have a hundred percent reserves? Is that the way to describe that? They have to match their liabilities. Right. So in fact, they have to have excess amount of reserves the type of reserves that they keep are also incredibly important because the more conservative they are, the less uh, requirement that the government will have and what type of uh, holdings you know, that they're maintaining. Uh, they, they basically can't take on risk or if they do, then they have to basically beef up their reserves if they're going to. Yeah. That article is actually something that I'll email out from time to time if I talk to someone who wants mm. to know about the safety of the life insurance industry. That's good. Yeah, the, there's about five or six LMR articles that I keep on hand mm -hmm. to email it to people depending on what the topic is or the area That's of cool. concern. All right, well, um, oh, the, the YouTube video, did you watch that by any chance? 
No, I just saw the link. I haven't had a chance to watch it. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> well, it's it's hilarious in context. If you watch the movie, the other guys, it's pretty funny. Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. Oh yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Um, but that scene that I I picked out. It, Is that uh, the desktop scene? No, it's a different scene. It, it's the one where Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell head over to the SEC and they have to hand over their investigation. And the part that's really funny, there's two parts. Uh, first, the, the Federal Reserve and Mark Wahlberg thinking that it's a prison. Uh, but the, the part that really hits home is the part about the publicly traded companies and the fraud that goes on undetected, even though you have all this oversight uh, that's there to prevent it. And here we have life insurance companies and you don't hear about investors losing billions of dollars for parking their money inside of life insurance companies. And yet people will ask, well, you know, is this a safe place to park money? You better believe it is. Anyway, here's the scene. Listen to it. I hope you get a kick out of it. This sucks, man. Work our ass off on this case and we got to hand over all of our evidence. Yeah, that's not right. Oh my God, I'm hungover. You guys are law enforcement? Yeah, we're an independent government agency who, along with the FBI and the Federal Reserve, regulate the stock market and corporate fraud. And the Federal Reserve is a prison? No, basically it's a help-for-profit bank that sets interest rates and loans money to other banks. Come on in, fella. You gotta be kidding me. You're Urshan's lawyer. We're turning over our investigation to you? Let me assure you, there will be no conflict of interest between me and David Urshan. And if this were an actual investigation, I would immediately recuse myself. This is all the evidence we have, and I, I truly hope you take this seriously. Yes, very much so. From everything I've heard, I understand you guys are the best at these types of investigations. Uh, outside of Enron and AIG and Bernie Madoff, WorldCom, Bear Stearns, okay, okay. Lehman Brothers. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Detective. Would you like a seat? Are you no, I'm good. Fine? Okay. And when I come back and bust your ass, we're locking David Urshan in the Federal Reserve. You still don't understand the concept. We're locking him in the Federal Reserve. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that is. I love that line too. <laughs> he still doesn't understand what the Federal Reserve is. That's great. 99 out of 100 people really don't. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, the, the SEC oversees all these publicly traded companies and you have this kind of monkey business going on and you know people wonder about the safety of life insurance companies when right. you've got this track record of publicly traded companies as regulated as they are and with oversight like the SEC which frankly I mean it's a it's a joke in that movie for a reason right um, it's just it, it's crazy to me that people will question the safety of a life insurance company but yeah, I, I think that's just where they're coming from. They don't know. Yeah, they don't know. And, and you know, they're not, they're never really given any other options, you know, like that. So they, they'll hear about these scandals, but then what other options do they have? You know, it's like, well, your retirement plan gives you uh, these six choices. You can invest in this basket of securities. You can invest in this basket of securities. And it's like, you know, do you want high risk, medium, high risk? you know, like medium risk, it's like, it's, uh, no one's given any, any options. And I mean, the insurance company, the insurance industry isn't spotless, you know, like there have definitely been points where 
you know, things like universal life have had some problems like in New York and things like that. But um, it seems to me like overall, a lot of the problems with insurance were really more political than anything. And the biggest one being, you know, the, the modified endowment contract limits where they were trying to compare, you know, the quote unquote black box of whole life insurance to, you know, the whatever returns people think they could get in the stock market. And uh, it's crazy to me because they call it a black box, but meanwhile, you get a, a ledger of amounts that you're guaranteed to get. It's like the, the opposite of a black box. <laughs> you, like here's what you get net of all everything, costs, fees, right. all that stuff. And yet they try to call it a black box, but it's like, there it is, you know, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. The numbers work out to be net of fees and net of taxes. And you have right. a blueprint that spells it out to you. Worst case scenario for the rest of your life, guaranteed contract. This is how minimally it's going to perform. And anything over and beyond that is basically gravy. And that's going to be the dividends. All right. Well, you want to give this yeah. a go? Let's kick it off. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the fifth edition. This is John Pairings. I'm John Montoya. And I think we are on episode 10, which is a uh, landmark episode for us. This is where we're going to start pushing these podcasts out live. So you should have about 10 episodes to listen to at this point. And today we are going to be talking about life insurance companies and how safe are they? Pretty risky, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> I, I feel nervous keeping my money in a life insurance policy. Yeah, I feel, really. I feel super nervous keeping my money in a tax-free guaranteed life insurance policy. <laughs> I suppose a person would if they didn't know everything that goes into how these life insurance companies are regulated, how they have to uh, maintain certain type of assets. You know, if you didn't really know all the details or even just a speck of the details, how these life insurance companies uh, really are put together, um, how they're regulated by the 50 states, not just oversight by the federal government, but they have to really, you know, work in cooperation with each and every state. And just, I don't know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it, so much so that I'm sure for the average layperson, especially coming from a perspective where the, the average person only is familiar with keeping money in investment accounts or even banks. Life insurance companies are really an afterthought. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> I think you just kind of remind them or, or even educate them. You know, I, I, I totally agree. It's like everyone's used to dealing with risk and they think banks are the safest place, the safest place to keep money. But then, you know, when you educate them about things like reserve requirements that uh, the banks have to hold to, you, you educate them about history where, you know, we've already seen it, you know, especially during the dot-com bubble where a lot of banks went under or had to be acquired with the assistance of government. And then you just talk about, you know, these insurance companies have been around every bit as long as any of the biggest, most trusted banks and they've been around and they've stayed around. You know, they've paid dividends for over 150 years every single year. And so, um, you know, it, it's really just, a, I think, an education where, you know, you, you walk people through and just, just letting people know that, you know, we're talking about 
centuries of a time frame that some of these companies have been around. And I think that that makes them feel a lot better just knowing that they've been around that long and they've been operating for that long. I, I think my go-to is explaining the difference between the banking industry and the life insurance industry mm-hmm. and how banks really only keep a small reserve, a fraction of what you keep on deposit and they lend out everything else. And on right. top of that, have the ability to create money on top of that. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the whole fractional reserve banking system. And yeah. I talk about the life insurance industry and how it, it is a full reserve system right? You have hundred percent solvency every single day of the year. It's apples and oranges, but yet people think of the banking institutions as a safe place. And the the biggest reason why is because of FDIC insurance, right? It's that sticker Mm -hmm. of confidence. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, the treasury had to uh, bail out the FDIC in the last, in in 2008, you know, during the, during the, uh, the last uh, housing crisis. You know, maybe it'd be a good time to plug the book, How Privatized Banking Really Works by Bob Murphy and Carlos Lara. Yeah, it's a phenomenal read. And uh, they, they do an absolutely brilliant job of covering all the bases when, when it comes to understanding just how safe life insurance companies are, how they compare to uh, banks and investment firms. And, and ultimately, I mean, it's not until the very end of that book do they even get to discussing infinite banking, which I thought was phenomenal. One of the questions I get asked quite a bit is how do life insurance companies make their money? Mm-hmm. And, and you were touching on this by explaining how, you know, life insurance companies will invest in uh, corporate bonds, U.S. bonds. Uh, there was a study in 2012 by the Federal Reserve, and it, it basically stated that 74% of assets were investment grade investment grade bonds uh, with 44% of those being corporate bonds. Now I know in looking at the portfolios of the companies that we work with, I mean, those numbers get as high as uh, into the high eighties. I've even seen it as high as 90% of a, of a life insurance company's portfolio in these type of investment grade bonds. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that really just, it speaks to the, the strength of, how strong these balance sheets are for life insurance companies, because this is not something that they're buying for appreciation, right? What they're doing is they're buying cash flow. If you think about how Warren Buffett really invests, he's buying, you know, stocks based off cash flow, right? Right. That's the lifeblood of any business. And cash flow is super vital for life insurance companies, you know, to, to really make it as simple as possible. The, the number one thing that I feel good about when I send a check to a life insurance company is I know that I'm transferring the risk of performance out of my hands into the life insurance company's hands. And I personally believe they are the best money managers in the world. They, they've got the history to prove it. And so I personally like having that peace of mind. It's, I, I think it's akin to the faith that people have in a pension. Right. People trust that they're going to get that paycheck for life. And it's the same thing when I write a check and send it off to the life insurance company. I know that money is going to go to work for me. It's safe and it's going to be there when I need it. And if I'm not around, then it's going to be there for my beneficiaries too. So a lot of peace of mind. And that just all goes down to that transfer of risk. 
on top of that, it's a transfer of risk to a guaranteed contract. <laughs> it's a contract with guarantees in it. And, uh, it, and so it's, it's different than a transfer of risk into the stock market, you know, where it really, that's actually, that's not really a transfer of risk because you're the one taking all the risk, but you're, you're transferring the risk to the insurance company and they're guaranteeing a certain, um, a certain payout uh, or a certain accumulation and a certain um, cash flow. And it, this is another area where I think it's important to, to note, you know, one, another objection that you hear, and this came, this started in like the seventies and eighties when they were referring to whole life insurance contracts as this black box, a quote unquote black box, because you don't get to see what the insurance company does to calculate their dividend and how, how they, more importantly, how they apply the dividend to individual policies. And so in that respect, there is sort of a black box where we don't see all the mechanics. The insurance company doesn't share that information. But the flip side of it is at the end of the day for a policy owner, it's the exact opposite of a black box. The insurance company gives you a ledger that every they tell you every single year, as long as you pay your premiums, this is the exact dollar amount net of all fees, all costs, everything. This is your net amount that your policy is going to grow and, and what you'll get. There's no room for, you know, saying, hey, this is the interest rate you'll get, but then there are fees and costs, you know, they give you a gross interest rate. They don't do that. They give you an actual dollar amounts of what you're going to get. So in my opinion, it's the opposite of a black box. You know exactly what's going to happen with these policies. And then on top of that, you have a non-guaranteed version. And they tell you these are non-guaranteed values, but they still give you the values. And so um, as far as safety goes, you know, it, it doesn't get any clearer and, and more direct than what you get with a whole life insurance policy, uh, you know, illustration. Now, Obviously, the, the non-guaranteed values are just that. They're an illustration. And even the guaranteed va values can, can change if you change the premium amount, right? But other than that, it, those are the guaranteed values, and that just reinforces the, the safety of what you're getting with these, with these types of organizations. So one question I used to get quite a bit was, well, if they're so safe, what about AIG? Because it mm -hmm. seems like everybody recalls AIG and the, the bailout that they mm -hmm. took, you know, 12 years ago right. um, during the Great Recession. And the thing I always point out to people is, is that AIG at the time, well, they, they were a conglomerate composed of over 100 plus companies. Mm -hmm. And their name comes from the life insurance company within that umbrella of companies, uh, the name that they chose to go with, uh, but it wasn't the life insurance company within that umbrella that got into trouble. It was the company that did all the credit default swaps yep. that was backing up Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and those companies that were so over leveraged that they basically went under. What's really interesting about that story too is, is the fact that not only was it not the life insurance company, AIG, the life insurance company that was in trouble, but when the time came to negotiate for that bailout with the government, 
the executives at that AIG con conglomerate level, they actually asked the government if they could dip into the reserves yep. that are put aside for the policyholders in their life insurance company. So for that portion of the company, they wanted to dip into those reserves. And the government, uh, thankfully, had the mm -hmm. foresight to say, no, you can't do that. That money is there for the protection of those policyholders. You cannot dip into those reserves. And so AIG had to take that bailout money from the government, but their first choice was to dip into the reserves of the life insurance company. So I, I, I've always thought that was pretty fascinating. Um, but you know, for most people, they, they don't know that story. They just know that AIG got a bailout. Yep. That's right. It's, uh, it's super important to get into those details and understand, you know, how that actually works. And, you know, obviously we're not huge fans of government regulation, but Hey, they, they made the right, they made the right decision on that one. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to contract law, right? These are contracts and we have to abide by the law, whatever that law is, we have to abide by it. And contract law is really, you know, it, it's, it's part of the basis of what makes this country really phenomenal, in my opinion, is that, you know, we have property laws and these life insurance contracts, they are property. Yes. They're privately held property. It, it's, it's absolutely unique um, in, in comparison to the protections that we have. And this AIG story really goes to prove that. This compared to uh, the FDIC, <laughs> where you know the Treasury had to come in and bail them out in the uh, in the last recession. Yeah, I mean, we talk about FDIC. The thing to understand there is that FDIC it exists for the benefit of banks at like an enterprise level. It's the protection mm -hmm. for the industry. Um, but the thing is. If one of the two big to fail banks, let's say the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, were to fail, that would wipe out all the reserves that FDIC has. And so this, this confidence that people have in FDIC, I mean, it's, it's in my opinion, it, it's a mirage because the FDIC is ensuring, and I'll put that in parentheses, ensuring close to what, $12 trillion in bank accounts nationwide. Right. And I think the FDIC barely has $100 billion on its asset sheet. Right. Now, in the banking world, you know, you can, you can be over leveraged and everything is fine and dandy, but not in the life insurance business where right. we're talking about 100% solvency, right? And here we have FDIC, they, they even use the word insurance in their name right? Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Mm -hmm. And where's the insurance? Where's the 100% solvency? It doesn't exist. It's, it gets to the, it's another example of the smoke and mirrors of sort of the traditional financial planning world. You know, we've got all these things that people are told is, you know, you're protected. You're told you're going to get this. Like you're told you'll, if you invest for the long term, you'll get an 8% average rate of return. You know, 
um, all of these things. It's just, and there's always more to the story. And, um, you know, you compare that to life insurance and it's like, there's no more to the story. Here's what you're going to get. Here's what you're guaranteed to get. Here it is all net of fees. And why would you not want to have at least a portion of what you're doing in something like that? I wholeheartedly agree. I, I can only think that the reason why people would think otherwise is because it's their conditioning. It's what Nelson would call the noise, yep. right? You hear it so often and it's repeated so much, eventually you just buy into it. Yep. So on that note, how much noise <laughs> can we throw out you or throw your way right. about IBC to get <laughs> yeah. you to realize this is really the safest place where you can park wealth to grow it, to keep it, and to pass it on. It's a great three count right there. TKO. That, that, that's a knockout. I mean, you can't, you can't ask for more safety in, in where you park wealth than in this private property bound by a life insurance contract, a unilateral contract that transfers the risk of performance from your hands to the life insurance companies, which again, in my opinion, are the best managers of risk in the entire world. And I'll, I'll prove that by saying life insurance companies are the only companies that can make a promise to pay out a set amount of income every year for the rest of your life. There's no mutual fund that can do that. There, there's no investment out there that I know of that will give you a paycheck every single month for the rest of your life. Amazing. That's, that's fully solvent because maybe someone might say, well, hey, social security. Well, yeah, <laughs> for how long? Right, that's a whole other can of worms. It is. But I mean, you know, that's a, just to complete that thought. I mean, that, that's such a great way to look at it. And I don't know if I've ever really, um, you know, articulated it that way. I mean, insurance companies give you a guaranteed future cash flow <laughs> for every single year until you die. And I mean, that no one else can do that. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I mean, way. We talked about the pensions, right? And the, and the feeling of security and, and safety that people have for those lucky enough to have a pension. But on, on the flip side, for those people that do have a pensions, how well-funded are those pensions? Right. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's an area of concern that, that's coming up for a lot of industries because so many of these pensions are so underfunded, whether it's a private pension, maybe like the, the CalSTRS uh, pension here in California, or maybe it's, it's, a, it's a pension that's managed by the state, like the state of Illinois or the state of Kentucky. Uh, you know, th these are woefully underfunded pensions that, you know, are, are gonna have to reduce benefits at some point because they, they, they just, you know, they didn't invest well enough. We're talking about managers of risk, right? They didn't invest well enough. Um, and so they're, they're not going to be able to meet obligations at some future point. And we turn around and we look at the life insurance industry and how they've been able to meet these obligations year after year for well over 100 years going on 200 years. It's pretty phenomenal. If you ask anybody, you know, 
no one will say, oh, a pension is bad. Like, you know, if, if they get it through their company, no one, no one would say that. They'd be like, oh yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty awesome. I wish I could get a pension through my company. Well, guess what? You can get a pension. <laughs> By the way, those pensions aren't usually free. You're usually contributing to those. And a lot of people just think it's part of the you know, benefits package, but you know, there's no free lunch. But the thing is, anybody can have a pension. They, all they have to do, it's called an annuity. That's what a pension is. <laughs> and so, but you say the word annuity, it almost has like the same effect as, you know, when you say the words life insurance, people, people are like, oh, I, those get horrible rates of return, this, that, and the other thing. And, and it's like, well, you know, if you just call it a pension, people are like, oh yeah, that, that'd be great. I wish there were still pensions available. It's like, well, they are you can have one. <laughs> don't even have to qualify. Yeah, that, that, that is a nice thing about annuities. You don't have to medically qualify. Um, you know, one point I did want to make going back to FDIC, mm-hmm. you know, people, people will ask if sometimes, sometimes I've gotten this question where people ask, well, is there FDIC insurance for life insurance companies? And you know, I'll explain that no, because it's not needed. These are 100% solvent life insurance companies. In fact, the industry average is 105%. But if for some reason, a life insurance company did drop down below 100%, the state takes over. The life insurance company uh, goes into receivership. The state commissioner basically takes over. And what would happen then is that uh, assets would be sold to get that life insurance company back above 100% solvency. Now, worst case scenario, if that couldn't be done, then what would happen is, well, there's a couple things that would happen. Uh, first, there is a something almost equivalent to FDIC, but at a state level, it's, it's not federal. So each state has uh, basically uh, a guarantee and it varies by states, but basically for each life insurance policy, it's approximately $300,000 in life insurance death benefit mm-hmm. for the policyholder in the event that life insurance company does go under uh, or, and or $100,000 in cash surrender that's protected. Now, has it ever gotten to that point? Well, what happens is, and this is kind of a life insurance companies kind of have a a partnership agreement with each other within the industry. They realize that the number one thing that they are selling is a promise, a promise to pay out these obligations. And it's something that's intangible. You can't, you can't see it. You can't see a promise. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. And so it's intangible. And what people are really buying is trust. Right. And so if a life insurance company were to go under and there have been examples, they're rare, extremely rare. I think the percentage during the great depression was like 0.02% versus 49% of banks went under just to give you a, a comparison. But if this were to happen to a life insurance company, there basically is an industry agreement that other life insurance companies are going to come in buy the book of business for that life insurance company that's going under and make policyholders whole. And the reason why is because this is an industry of trust. And if people cannot trust that they're going to get their money back or their beneficiaries are going to get paid out, then what's the point in buying that contract? That's right. 
right? So th there's all these levels of safety and security that go into this industry that for me gives me all the confidence in the world that my money is safe, no matter what, even if I'm not around to see it, my money is safe. Man, you were really, you dropped some gold nuggets today, John. Like I was telling you before the show, I think I'm watching too much Breaking Bad and all the, <laughs> all, all the grief that Walter White went through just to secure something for his family, even when he, you know, wouldn't be around to see it. It, it just makes me think, man, all he had to do was go out and get a life insurance policy. My goodness. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to become a, a, a meth drug king, uh, kingpin in yeah. order to you know secure right. his family's financial future if he would have just had the foresight to get a life insurance contract my goodness but then of course he wouldn't have five years of phenomenal story writing and and one of the best tv shows ever but that's right um, yeah breaking so. bad would have been a third a, a one one 15 minute episode and thin. <laughs> it, it would yeah it would have been a pilot that didn't get picked up oh this guy right. goes out and get and applies for life insurance all right that's boring <laughs> and you know life insurance is super boring until you understand everything that it can do for you that's right and speaking about everything it can do for you the last note i'll leave everyone with is this we talk about the safety of life insurance companies and what that means to individuals. And we almost forgot about this. I'm, I'm so glad I'm throwing this in here, but banks inherently trust their reserves, their tier one assets with life insurance companies. In fact, banks have so much trust in the safety and liquidity of life insurance companies that the Federal Reserve actually has a mandate that banks can put no more than 25% of the reserve tier one assets. And there's different tiers, tier one being the most ultra safe, ultra liquid tier asset class that a bank has. Well, a bank can only put as much as 25% of that asset class into bank-owned life insurance. It's a very special product that's designed specifically for banks. Uh, on the individual market, we have individually owned life insurance. Well, banks buy so much of these cash value policies that they actually have a product name just for them. And that's fully bank-owned life insurance. Uh, but I wanna leave you with that note because you know, if you're thinking about where banks put their money, it's not in CDs and mutual funds, folks. They put it in life insurance. In fact, they put so much into it that Federal Reserve says, hey, you know, you can't, you can't overdo it. You got to have other assets too. But there you go. Well, I think on that note, yeah. um, I, I'm ready to leave the building. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, the uh, great stuff, John. Uh, you know, all those things you shared today were really, uh, really good. I like that a lot. Uh, likewise. That's why we do it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. This is episode 10. You'll, you'll get some links in the show notes page and uh, that you can find that at the fifth edition.com. All right, everybody. Take care. <laughs>